Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Grace Church Online. This week, the Reverend Robbie Grundwald leads us in preaching as we celebrate both Pentecost and Youth Sunday. If you would like more information on the high school and middle school ministries here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, please head to our website, ccgf.org, and check out our ministries tab. There you will find pages for both high school and middle school ministries and how you can get involved. Now, here is Pastor Robbie with this week's message entitled, Kings and Queens. Thank you for listening. Why don't we give it up for our high schoolers one more time, our middle school students as well. I, we truly believe that this isn't the church of tomorrow, that what you witnessed this morning is the church of today. And I'm so excited to be able to serve them. In fact, I'll tell you this, as I've been working here at the church for 13 years, I'm tied for the longest standing pastor uh, with Pastor Barry, and, uh, but uh, we always argue about who got to work the first, and uh, I think I did. But 13 years of working with uh, our students here, working with middle school students, and I've got to tell you, there's one thing I've learned, all right, when I'm dealing with middle school students, is that they are characters, all right? And I, as a church, we've been looking at characters in the Old Testament. I'm telling you, those characters have nothing on the middle school kids that we've worked with in our church. And uh, in fact, there's actually not enough adjectives to describe some of the middle school kids that come through our programs. I mean, they could be loud. They could be obnoxious. They can be weird. They could be an introvert and extrovert all at the same time. Like, how is that even possible? I mean, this is what we deal with. I mean, it's just there's not enough adjectives to describe some of the students that have come through our programs, and uh, they are definitely characters. Um, I'm also learning, though, that uh, I'm a parent of a two-year-old, and two-year-olds can be characters as well. I mean, my Hannah, she is something, I'll tell you that. Like, sometimes she's just a wonderful, sweet little angel, and she's nice to her sister and nice to her friends, and then the wind blows. And you're just like, we need to we call the elders of the church when we cast demons out of this kid. <laughs> like, like, who is this person, right? Who is this kid I've been raising, you know? Um, you never know what you're going to get from a two-year-old. In fact, uh, yesterday morning, I woke, up, woke her up out of her crib, and the first thing she tells me, she says, Daddy, I got caca in my mouth. And I go, who says that? I'm like, that's a bad day to start, it's a bad way to start the morning off. But uh, two-year-olds, I don't know if I'm allowed to say caca in the church, but I just did. Uh, <laughs> But two-year-olds, I mean, you just never know what you're going to get. And it was a couple weeks ago. Um, my wife went to dinner with her friends, and so I was home with her. And Han- it was just me and Hannah. And so I had this idea we are going to go to BRGR in Cranberry and get us a hamburger and uh, some fries together and have this nice daddy-daughter uh, dinner. And um, so we had to get changed. And sometimes that's difficult for a two-year-old as well because they can be stubborn. And so I put on my negotiation skills to try to negotiate her out of the outfit she was wearing so we can appear correctly, right? Pure right at the restaurant. And uh, sure enough, I'll tell you, I lost this negotiation badly. We arrive at BRGR in her tennis shoes, her sweatpants, her little princess dress over top and some other accessories and whatnot. And, uh, but she was happy. That's all that matters sometimes, right? She's happy. And so we have this wonderful meal together. It turned out she was just such a good, good girl. And we had a good meal together. And I'm uh, and, um, sitting there and uh, this real important thought came across my mind, and I think it's important for all of us. And it was this. As I'm sitting there having this dinner, she has on her head her little crown. And the thought came into my head, you know, she's daddy's little princess, but one day she's going to be queen. She's daddy's little princess right now, but one day, very soon, she's going to be queen. And I thought, what if that was our vision for our youth ministry? What if that was our vision for our kids' ministry? What if that was our vision for our neighborhood kids? That each and every one of them They may be a princess now, they may be a prince, but one day they will be kings and queens. Not kings and queens for the business world, kings and queens for the kingdom of God. 
What if we had that same vision? You know, yesterday there was some big hoopla about the big royal wedding. I'm sure you're aware of what took place. But I'm telling you, the big hoopla should be going on right now because there are people downstairs changing dirty diapers for the kingdom. Because they are changing God's sons and daughters. They are with them. They are discipled and they are pouring into them. That's the hoopla we should be talking about. That each and every kid is a child of God. The king of kings. They're his kids. Well as they are ours, they're his. And we should treat them that way. And I'm telling you, for us to raise a generation that will be about the kingdom, there's some things have to take place. And that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. All right? And there's a key couple things we need as a church, as we need as parents to do. And the first is this. I think we need to recognize in each of our kids their purpose and their potential. I think so many times we overlook this, this generation. We generalize them that they're lazy, that they're distracted, that maybe they're too busy, or maybe they're always on their cell phone like this, right? This is what we think about them. This is what we call them. We overlook their potential. In fact, King David in the Old Testament was overlooked. You know, his, his own dad did this. You know, the, the, the prophet Samuel comes to Jesse's house. And says, Jesse, I'm going, to, I'm going to anoint one of your boys. And where was David? Left with the sheep. Like his own dad didn't see his own potential in his son. He leaves him outside with the sheep. When, when, when David's about to face Goliath, the king at the time, Saul, tells him, says, you can't do that. Why? You're just a boy. This is what he calls him. He says, David, you're just a boy. When Goliath is about to take on David... Goliath himself says, you're coming at me, you're just a boy. And on the surface, you're just a boy sounds all right. But when you hear it like this, you're just a boy? What you're really saying is you're inadequate, you're unable to, up to the task. Maybe you're a little crazy because you're too young, right? What you're saying is you're just too weak or inexperienced because you're just a boy. But that's not what God is saying here. In fact, three times David was anointed king. Three times. See, God was reaffirming the call in him. God was reaffirming the call. See, the world may call you a boy, David, but I'm calling you to be king. Imagine what that must have done to David, this young, soon-to-be king, as he faces challenges, as he may have had a moral failure down the road. We know he did, right? Like he had some obstacles, some challenges. Imagine what that must have done to him to be reaffirmed three times. David, the world may call you a boy, but I'm calling you to be king. Our kids need to hear that. And today they need to recognize that there are potential, and they also need to recognize a purpose. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, I've grown up with one of, I have one of my good friends in high school, and I, and I see him now. It's amazing. I'm like blown away by his talents and his gifts. Uh, just the other day, one of my good friends, I mean, I'm thinking about the same guy here, but he, he, he was speaking in Houston at a church. Maybe you've heard of it. It's Joel Osteen's church. 40,000 people on stage. Gives this unbelievable message. Brought the house down. I mean, people were coming to Jesus. Uh, a couple uh, Earlier in the summer, he spoke at a pastor's conference in Hillsong Church in Australia. Where he spoke in front of 30,000 pastors. That would have been intimidating. But I look at him. And I go, man, this guy has so much talent. But then if I was to take you back to our high school years... I'm like, I can tell you some stories, and you'd be like, no way, these two guys are the same. Right? I can take you back to his high school days and uh, tell you some stuff, and you would see him, and you go, this guy doesn't care about anybody, he's lazy, 
He's good for nothing. But we see him now. Well, what happened? Can I tell you, it was a small group leader. It was his pastor who saw something in him that he didn't see in himself. They challenged him. They gave him the opportunity to share and get in front of others. It was unbelievable to see what they did for him. Because we see the result of it now. You know, in David's story, the first person to actually recognize the potential in him, it wasn't his dad. It wasn't Samuel, the prophet. It wasn't Saul, the king. It wasn't his brothers. But check this out. This is what I learned this week. It was a servant. That the first person to see in David the king that he was called to be was a servant. 1 Samuel 16, 18. This is what the servant had to say. And this is before David even fights Goliath. He says, I see a brave man. I see a warrior before me. I see that the Lord is with him. Check this out. When all of you are calling him a boy, I'm calling him a brave man. When you're calling him a boy, I'm calling him a warrior. Unbelievable that this servant was able to see it in him. So I think there's a big lesson that we can learn here. Like when we begin to serve or we begin to be with our kids in middle school and high school ministry, I'm telling you, you begin to see their potential. You get to see some things other people won't see. That's such a privilege of being able to serve in, in ministries that we, that's what we get to call to do. We get to see it in them. And I hope you'll do that with your own kids. See their potential. Well, what about purpose? Because I think our kids need purpose as well. You know, I remember a dad coming to, me, coming to me and he said his family was a mess. And here's what was going on. His oldest daughter, and his words, was dating a loser. And he was like, I don't know what to do. I mean, I raised her better than this, you know. This is, this is not what she's, you know, this is way beneath her. She's so much better than him. I mean, this is a dad, you know, this is how dads talk. And uh, so it was really complex. And so the counsel he received from someone was this. She needs a better purpose in life. So he takes that advice and he starts thinking about it. And, and, and he wraps up this idea, this plan that he's going to do with his family. And here was his plan. He grabbed, he grabbed all his whole entire family and he headed to Mexico where he found this small little village where he stayed there for a week. At the end of the week, he gathered his family together and he told them, listen, I think we can make a difference here. You see those people without food and without water, I think we can make a difference here. And check this out. Two months later, she dumped that loser. Right? Because guess what happened? Guess what happened? He goes to her and says, Hun, why why'd you dump him? I'm glad you did, but why'd you dump him, right? And this is the words she had to say, because, Dad, I don't got time for this. I don't got time for that anymore. I got a mission. I got a purpose. And it's to change that village in Mexico. I don't got time for that. And that's what I hope for our young people, that we give them such a purpose, that they will say, listen, I don't got time for that. I don't got time for that drama. I don't got time for that boy. I don't got time for that party or that sin because I have potential and I have a purpose. That's what they need. That's what we need in our church and in our kids. Amen? Don't got time for that. Uh-uh, don't got time for that. Our kids also need to be empowered by the Spirit. You know, 1 Samuel verse 13, here's the verse. It says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. In power. 
See, it wasn't in David's own strength that he was able to take on Goliath. It wasn't in his own abilities or cognitive powers. No, it was in the power of the Holy Spirit that David took on Goliath. Today is Pentecost, and we celebrate that God sends his Holy Spirit to this earth to empower the believer. Empower the believer. You know, we look at Peter, who was the denier. I mean, Peter, when it was time to be quiet, this dude would speak. <laughs> when it was time to speak, this dude was quiet. When it was time to stand, this dude would run. When it was time to get up and go, he would stay. I mean, Peter, time and time and time again, gets it wrong, doesn't he? But on the day of Pentecost, things change. In fact, we know that Peter, he gets up in front of a crowd, and he preaches this unbelievable message, this unbelievable sermon where many come to know Jesus. And you go, how are these two guys the same? Holy Spirit power. He couldn't stand for Christ with one woman at the well. But now he stands in front of a crowd and teaches about Jesus. What happened in this dude? The Holy Spirit. And so I want to tell you today that if you have some Goliaths in your life, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome them. That Goliath may be taunting you for years today because the power of the Holy Spirit, he can fall. He can fall. You know, I've been telling middle school students for the longest time that they need the church. And one of the things I'll explain to them is they need the church because they need to hear God's word. They need to be a place where they worship. But also, where else are they going to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Like, the kids aren't getting filled with the Holy Spirit on the way to school. It's not happening in the classrooms. It's not happening on the football field. No, in fact, it's, it's, it happens in the church where kids are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why I love what they're doing on Sunday nights with the high school students. Just as you saw this worship band lead us, kids are being filled up with the Holy Spirit. When I take kids to summer camp, I love it because it's a week of worship, it's a week of word, but I see kids who probably didn't believe in God come away changed, ready to go live for God in their schools and in their families. The power of the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a young people. Goliaths will fall. You know, there's so many different glass for our kids today. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, they're empowered to live lives for Jesus. And those glass will fall. Not only do they need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, our kids need to, need, we need to affirm in them, check this out, what real success is. What's real success? I'll explain. I was leading a small group a few years ago, a group of middle school boys. And one of the things we were discussing, or just a typical small group question, is like, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to be when you grow up, right? It's a typical question. And I got some of the typical answers. Some were like, I want to you know, do what my dad does, be in the family business. Others, you know, I want to be a fireman, and all those are good things, and I affirm that. One kid, I like this one, one kid said, listen, I want to be a lawyer. I was like, okay, why do you want to be a lawyer? And he was like, well, I love to argue with my mom, so I might as well do that for a living. I was like, that's clever. I'll play along with that. And then another kid, I remember, he's such a character, like middle school kids are, such a character, and they're so blunt. And I asked him, I was like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And he's very blunt and very honest. He says, Robbie, I just want to be rich. And I laughed and I giggled, right? Like, uh, that's, uh, that's clever, right? I mean, he just wants to be rich. 
But what he really was saying is that that's his definition of success. And can I tell you, that kid may be in this room today. Been here that long. He's probably an adult. But that was his definition of success. I just want to be rich. See, listen, this is what our kids will get. Our culture is constantly telling these things. That real success is when you have fancy cars and fancy homes. Real success is when you, you know, have wealth and power and fame. Real success is when you die with the most toys because then you win. Like if we don't affirm that in our kids, that's what they're going to believe. If we don't demonstrate it, if we don't show it correctly, that's what they're going to believe. Even the Samuel prophet in our scripture today gets it wrong. He has a worldly point of view. Samuel the prophet shows up at Jesse's house looking for the next king. He sees Jesse's oldest son there, right? And he goes, surely this dude is the one. I mean, he sees his appearance. He sees he's strong. He's good looking. He's like, man, this guy has to be king. And God corrects him right then and there. And this is what he said. He says, listen, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Like, Jesse, you're looking at the outward appearance. That stuff doesn't matter. What matters most is the heart. God had to correct him, and I wonder if he has to correct us too. You know, as parents, we can often be misled in this type of thinking. We can often be misled. Like, if I was to invite you over to my house or you to stop by randomly sometimes at night, you come over to my house, you'd be wondering what in the world's going on, right? With my two-year-old daughter, she has so much energy, right? She just loves to run. In fact, you'll sometimes come over to our house and she's like doing laps around our house. Kitchen, living room, kitchen, living room, right? It's just, it's my house, right? Maybe you have two-year-olds, you understand. That's kind of how it is, out of, out of control chaos. And, uh, and as a dad, you know, I was thinking about it, and I'm kind of drawn into this. I was thinking, you know what, she really loves to run. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe she has some talent here, okay? I, I see a future, future track star. But then I'm like, she's only two, Right? But as parents, we can get misled in thinking that this may be her way for success. This may be her way for success. Uh, another example I love for, for me to help you illustrate what I'm talking about, and I don't want to harp on him, but this is a story we're all familiar with, is Tiger Woods. I mean, Tiger Woods, we know, we saw there's, there's great footage of Tiger as such a young little boy, and he's hitting that golf ball like a million miles for like a five-year-old. I mean, he, he beats up on grown men on the golf course at such a young age. We also know that dad, his dad pushed him and pushed him and pushed him. Practice, practice, and practice. They got him coaches and memberships to country clubs. And he played golf all the time. We know that he comes out of college, right? And he's just a phenomenon on the golf course. One of the best ever. He wins tournament after tournament after tournament. But we also know the other side of the coin. We've we, we come to understand that his character was lacking. Right? We come to find that his marriage is falling apart, that uh, multiple affairs and substance abuse. We, we see the other side of the coin, that his family and his parents and everybody's poured so much into his golf career, but compromised his character. They poured everything into his golf career, but left little for his character. This path in life does not build character, does it? Uh, you know, our students wrestle with many different religions today, and it's not like the common religions you would think of. Some of, the, some of the religions I think our kids deal with is academics. It could be even the band. 
But today, I think the religion of today that's taking over is, you'll be surprised by this, maybe you won't, youth athletics. It's crazy to me. It's crazy to me that a 12-year-old has to decide to go pro, right? Like, they have to choose one sport, right? And they got to play it year-round. Fall ball, spring ball, all the time ball, right? Like, they just had to go pro at 12 years old. It's really a religion when you think about it because there's no times that are off limits. They will play, they will practice all the time. Uh, just last week, all right, Mother's Day, I had kids that showed up to church that had already played a game. I had multiple kids that had to practice after church on Mother's Day. I mean, it just takes, it's taking over. They, have to, they meet multiple times a week and you can't miss, right? It's becoming the religion of the day. No times are off limits. Uh, they even start them young. I was driving through Pittsburgh the other day and I saw a sign for a soccer camp. For two and three-year-olds. Two and three-year-olds? What? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, exactly. What? It's taking over. And so are we going to sacrifice our kids on the altar of sports? Are we gambling with their character with hopes of a college degree or a career? See, we need to define what real success is for our kids. And real success to me from a biblical point of view, for my girls, and for our hope for our children as well in this room, Real success is when they do what God's called them to do. That they do what God's called them to do. So if they are called to be missionaries, may we support them in that. If they're called to work in an orphanage overseas, may we be all about that. Because real success is doing what God's called them to do. Not my dreams of a sports awesome track star, but God's dream. What I remind you of Paul who also said... What good is it for a man to gain the world, yet forfeit his soul? We've got to affirm what real success is. We also, parents, here's the deal, we need to be present. Grandparents, anyone here, they need parental presence. And I know this gets a little bit more difficult when you're dealing with middle school and high school kids. Like when it's elementary, it's really easy. Like you're, you are welcomed in their world all the time. Right? It's easy to be involved in elementary years, but when it comes to high school and middle school, you like get the stiff arm. Right? It's like mom and dad check out. But I'm going to tell you is this. Time and time again, research continues to say parents are still the number one influence in those years. You still have an influence in middle school and high school years. So don't, don't check out. They need you. They need your presence, they need your wisdom, they need your guidance, they need your counsel, they need you. Now, when I look at David's life, i got to ask a question. Jesse, were you present? Jesse, were you involved in David's life? And I'm telling you, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. i got a couple questions for Jesse. Like, Samuel comes to your house to anoint the next king, and you leave your son out with the sheep. I'm like, did you not know about your own son well enough to know that there were some king-like characteristics in him? I mean, did you not know your son well enough? Think about this for a moment. When David is on his way to fight Goliath, Saul sits down with him and says, Listen, you're just a boy. You're just a boy. You can't go fight this guy. And David, I love his answer. His response was this. Is Listen, I've had victory over the lion. I've defeated a bear. With my hands, Goliath has nothing on me. Now, if you hear that as a, as a dad, 
right? You hear your son beat up on a lion and a bear. There's some pride and some courage. You're like, man, my, man, my son is a boy, right? Awesome, right? That's why we'd have some confidence as dads. And I don't see that for Jesse. I'm like, Jesse, if you knew these things about your son, wouldn't you think that he could be king? I'm just not so sure. And here's what I think. Did Jesse, be, was he present but not really present? Like, we see he's there, but is he really there? My wife is on me about this all the time. Like, we could be at the dinner table, and I'm not really there. I'm somewhere else thinking about work. I could be bathing the kids, getting them for bed, but really not doing that because of social media. So are we present when we're present? That's the challenge. They need your presence. I love the movie Interstellar. Maybe you've seen this one. It's one of my favorites. It's about this group of astronauts who are out to seek a new planet for mankind. And they find this planet that looks like a potential place they could save mankind. We could live there. But they have this dilemma. If they go to this planet because of gravity and scientific reasons, that one hour on this planet will be seven years on Earth. So they wrestle with this dilemma, but still choose to do it at a great cost. And they come back from this planet to the mothership, and they come faced with the reality of what it cost them. Why don't you watch this clip and see what I'm talking about. We've got years of messages stored. Messages spanned 23 years. Play it from the beginning. Hey, Dad. Checking in. Saying hi. Um, finished second in school. This curl is still giving me C, so pulled me down, but you know, second's not bad. Grandpa attended the ceremony. <laughs> um, oh, I met another girl, Dad. I, uh, I don't really think this is the one. Lois, Sarah right there. Murphy still grabbed his car. She crashed it. She's okay though. Hey, Dad. Look at this. Your grandpa. His name's Jesse. I kind of wanted to call him Coop, but Lois says, uh, maybe next time. But Donald says he's already earned the great part, so we just leave it at that. Shoulder. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh, say bye bye, Grandpa. Bye bye, Grandpa. Okay. So it's been a while. It's, uh, just. Oh, with Jesse and all. Uh. Oh, Grandpa died last week. We buried him out in the back forty next to Mom and. Mary would have buried you if you'd ever come back. Marv was there at the funeral, and uh, we don't see her that much, but she came for that. You aren't listening to this, I know that. All these messages are just drifting, 
says that uh, I have to uh, let you go. And uh, so... To me, every time I see that clip and watch that movie, that scene sticks out to me. Right? How precious time is. Sobering reminder. Time goes fast. Right? It flies through just like that. You know, I don't think we're going to ever look back and say, I wish I would have worked more. I wish I would have taken more business trips or had more business dinners or more times with my friends. I think we're going to look back and regret missing our kids, missing those moments, missing those opportunities to be with them. I think we're going to look back and regret that. And I'm very aware that some of us in this room can feel this so closely because you have a graduating senior. And they're 18. And you're like, what in the world happened? They were just two. Seemed like yesterday. And now they're 18 and they're on their way out. And I guarantee you can relate to this. This idea of wishing you spent more time. Wishing you were more present. Wishing you had more influence in their lives. See, the deal is they're only going to be 16 once. They're only going to be 12 once and they're only two once. So don't miss it. Don't miss each and every opportunity we have with our kids. Don't miss it. Let that be a reminder. So maybe this may require for us, check this out, to say no to some good things in our lives so we can say yes to something greater. Maybe it requires for us to say no to some things that are good because we know there's something greater, and that's our young people. That's our young people. So as we wrap up this morning, the band comes. I want to remind you, I got an acronym to help you remember what we've been talking about this morning. That we begin to recognize their purpose and their potential even when they don't see it in themselves. That they, we help our kids, we put our kids in positions and places where they can become empowered by the Spirit because they have so many Goliaths. That only God's Spirit can they overcome them. That we help them by affirming what, real, what is real success. What does real success today look like? And that we would be present. We'd be present at the time when we're multitasking, when we're pulled in so many directions, that our kids need us. They need you, the church. They need you, the church. And we do that with this hope that when we sow, we will also reap. That it is a biblical principle that is so true still today. How you sow is how you will reap. And my hope is that we would sow in our kids in such a way that we reap David-like character. I mean, David, we know him. We know his story. Yes, he was a mess in part of his life. But he still had a heart for God. He's legendary for his passion for Jesus. May our kids be the same way. So may we raise our kids in such a way that they will be kings and queens for the kingdom. Kings and queens for the kingdom, not the things of this earth that our little prince and princesses 
will grow up for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we're thankful for your word. I'm thankful for David's life. And you see a man transformed as he gets an idea of his true identity and his true calling and what the Holy Spirit can work in his life. And the same could be said for everyone in this room. We had all gone astray, but you called us back home. And you call us to greater things, not the things of this earth, but to, 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 to be kings and queens for your kingdom. May we know that call in our own lives, and then may we impart that into our kids. May we teach them that. May we show them that. May we demonstrate a life lived for Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen.